We're back with episode two of the Wisconsin BHA Report. Kelly Van Beek and I, William Kepke, your host this episode, your producer. We sit down with Mike Foy and Dr. Elizabeth Baker to talk about the current uh, affairs of CWD in Wisconsin and super, super informative, educational, beneficial for all of us that enjoy uh, white-tailed deer in this great state uh, for, for a variety of reasons. We dive into that in this episode. So I hope you enjoy and take something away from it and take it back to your hunting group and let's get some more data and numbers on CWD in Wisconsin. We are also looking for help. Uh, July 17th, we have a work day at Castle Rock Flowage. You can, if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you'll find information. Otherwise, you can email me at bill.kepke, K-O-E-P-K-E, dot B-H-A at gmail.com if that works for you. And we can get you on the work list. We're looking for people with flat boats, uh, trucks, trailers, cordless saws, all that good stuff. And we're gonna have a we're gonna have a good work day out on the river cleaning up old duck blinds. We've also got the rendezvous coming up July 31st in Racine at Racine Instinctive Bowman Club. So stay tuned for more information on that. And yeah, that's that's those are the big ones I've got for you right now. So I hope you're enjoying your summer. Get signed up for Hike to Hunt. Get out, get those miles in, get ready for fall. And until then, stay tuned for more policy, info, education, and hunting stories from around Wisconsin. We are back with the Wisconsin BHA Report. Kelly Van Beek, thanks for uh, joining me in the virtual studio. Just you and me, bud. That's right. Forging ahead. There we go. Making it happen. Trevor, he's somewhere lost in the capital. Um, I got to make my yearly rounds there. I, I, I like to visit once a year, see what's going on, make sure my tax dollars are being put to use. What I'm do like, you, what do you, what do you do while you're there, William? I, I use the bathroom. <laughs> Checking out the bathrooms. Yeah, right. That's, 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 that's the, that's the main goal. Say hi to everybody. Make sure they're all working hard. Know that they're, I want them to know that they're appreciated. So I go there, say hi to everyone, use the bathroom. And then, uh, yeah. Well, let me know when you come down because not that we are supposed to like talk about particular businesses on this or something, but like you should, we should stop at Youngblood, uh, which is very close to the capital, relatively new brewery. That's what I'm drinking tonight. So nice. we'll stop there the next time you check out the bathrooms. I like it. Perfect. Sounds like a plan. BHA plan. Public lands in the capital. So Trevor, we miss you. Um, hopefully we get him on here next time. Kelly, what's what's going on with what's what's going on with hike to hunt? I it started earlier this year, which threw me off. It did started earlier than I don't even. I yeah. felt didn't it start in June, beginning of June last year? It was like the first year. It was the second week, I think. This year it started right away in June. Threw me off. But your your team's killing it. What's going on there? Gut pile gals. I just posted about it today on the Wisconsin BHA social media. So make sure you're following that. What's going on with gut pile gals? They're just crushing it. Uh, we have a bunch of really active ladies who wanted to crush them, crush miles this year on the team challenge, on the new team challenge. And uh, Gal Gals is the group of ladies that I deer hunt with. 
if you listened in last summer to the podcast series, I talked about my deer camp group and uh, many of them are doing the hike to hunt challenge and logging miles and kicking butt and biking, paddling, hiking, running. Uh, I, I guess what's unfair about the team challenges, there was no like limit to the number of people that could participate. So we just loaded, we just like stacked the deck of <laughs> as every, everybody to participate. And uh, some of them, some of those ladies are just so incredibly active. I had no idea that they logged that many miles like daily <laughs> to do activity. I am a huge slacker. I have, I don't have that many, but I did get in a couple. Uh, well, I've gotten in a couple paddles, one with you, Bill, and then one paddle, paddle to a bar here in Stoughton, which was with uh, Julie, uh, super fun. So if you find yourself wanting to paddle down the Yahara River in Dane County, you can paddle right up to the Naughty Norski uh, in Stoughton and then keep going <laughs> down to the dam. So that's what we did. Two miles in. Boom. And then we biked back to our, then we biked back. So we got in a couple miles paddling, a couple miles biking, and we got our Bloody Mary on. So, I like it. I like it. Well, you're. I, I'm still working on getting some of my team to figure out how to log into the app. So you're well ahead of me. Uh, someone else had a flat tire this morning. They they texted me, all fired up and ready to get some miles after I posted about gut pile gals with a 300 some mile lead over second place. <laughs> yeah, and it's insane. They were fired up. They text me like three or four times, and then I got a picture of their bike tire flat, um, and then that pretty much equally deflated their motivation. So I don't think they logged any miles today. That sounds about right. And land, <laughs> if you're listening, the app sucks. So <laughs> I, well, it's we time. we hate the app, except we do like cheering for each other with those obnoxious random cheers that you can cheer each yeah. other with. But otherwise, the app sucks. I do like the hat though. I got the hat today. This is the hat of the week. Hike to hunt. It's really soft or something. Mm. Uh, so the softest, the softest baseball hat I had. Is it gonna soak up sweat and get weird? Oh yeah, totally. Good. That'll be my bear, my bear baiting hat. It'll get real, real funky. All right, so that's that's the hike to hunt recap for everybody. Hopefully, you're getting outside, getting active, getting ready for fall. Our guests today are two repeat guests from last year. We're we're having them on for our annual. CWD, chronic wasting disease. Um, as a as, as someone who just hunts, feeds themselves off wild game, I think the CWD conversation is super important for us to be revisiting um, yearly, at least for those of us that hunt, that enjoy deer, that enjoy eating wild game. And I'm I'm looking forward to learning more today. So Kelly, who who do we have on the show today? We have two of my favorites back with us this year. We have Dr. Elizabeth Baker in the house. Hey, Liz, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Good. And we have Mr. Michael Foy. How are you? I am uh, good and uh, still retired. Still retired, he says. Love and life. And uh pushing the envelope on the cwd management front still in the state so what bill and i wanted to do today was talk about general updates uh for cwd in wisconsin i mean i know i'm definitely starting to think about season i was just talking to mike this afternoon about getting my bow out uh and starting to hit some targets and mike uh presented with tom Hoggy at the southeast deer study 
group this year um, in February, a virtual meeting where they once again presented and pitched the concept of payment for positives. And I'm sure Mike, there was a variety of uh, angles approaching CWD that you heard about when you were at the meeting, whether that was research updates or um, strategies that our Southeastern counterparts are employing to think about manage for CWD. So one of the things I'm hoping we can do on this episode was hear a little bit about what you and Tom heard at that meeting, what the reception was for payment for positives and um, any follow-up that you've had since being able to present to that group in February. Okay. Do I start? So yes, Sorry, you can start, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, well, there was a um, mini session, or I, I wouldn't call it a symposium, but it was a, a CWD session. Uh, there was a paper on uh, the CWD dashboard, data dashboard that Pennsylvania has launched, which is pretty cool, um, which kind of gives you a way to see what's going on in Pennsylvania and, you know, one entry point. Um, I've been encouraging Wisconsin DNR to try and get something similar because I just think it's, uh, uh, Wisconsin has a really good data set and a lot of information available, but you kind of have to know where to look for it. And um, I think a data dashboard would just be much more user-friendly where you can kind of enter at one spot and then go to any place of interest from that one spot. And, uh, then there was a paper on, uh, wasn't really much on results, but uh, they're doing a, trying to do a better economic evaluation of what the impacts of CWD would be uh, going down the road across, uh, I think, across the country. Uh, so that was interesting and sorely needed, but uh, it was still kind of in the early stages. And then uh, we heard from uh, Arkansas, I can't remember what the Department of Conservation is called there, but uh, they talked about their, uh, their, their growing problem there. They are, um, they're not in uh, Wisconsin boat yet, but they are uh, for, for a Southern state. Uh, they're kind of leading the pack down there and uh, in a, in not in a good way, in a bad way. And, uh, you know, I'm getting the first whiffs of uh, exponential growth uh, coming out of Arkansas. Um, and then there was an, uh, uh, some discussions about uh, the targeted removal that Illinois has championed. Uh, Tennessee's doing it now, I think. Uh, Missouri's doing it. I believe Minnesota's doing it, even though they weren't part of the Southeast um, study group. Uh, Iowa too is doing yeah, just, I think more acknowledgement that that's really the only serious tool we have in states where we already have a CWD. Uh, and, uh, 
you know, I guess uh, the point we tried to make in our talk was uh, 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 genetic solution is not around the corner. It's, uh, it, there was this research done right here at Wisconsin uh, by uh, Dr. Stacy Robinson, basically showing that just to get a, a bare 51% of a resistant genotype, which does not give you, it's not a, it's not immunity, it's just a resistant genotype, uh, would take somewhere on the order of 180 years, um, which is fast in evolutionary time scale, uh, particularly if, you know, for higher, higher level uh, animals, but uh, pretty slow in terms of, uh, you know, any, any of our lifetime or uh, the rate that the disease is spreading. So, and then even there, you know, it, it's, it's, it just means uh, that the deer might be a little slower to get it once exposed and they may have it a little longer and uh, so what does that really mean? Maybe they're just going to be shedding prions longer on the landscape. And, you know, we don't really know that that's going to be advantageous. Uh, the efforts at a vaccine have kind of been uh, disappointing, I guess. It's a, it's a polite way of saying it. And, you know, there really is no treatments, uh, you know, for an animal that's sick that have been found. So um, all these other things that, the, the, uh, you know, the medical approach, the genetic approach, the vaccination approach have all been pretty disappointing. And so what's, what does that leave you? I mean, the, the first thing is don't get it, but that's too late for 25 states now. Uh, and then your other option is try and weed those sick deer out of the population, which is what, you know, what apparently most people are calling targeted removal. Um, that's not really my preferred name for it, but it seems to be the consensus name that's growing as far as uh, people understanding what you're talking about. So then the question is, uh, what happens when, you know, you no longer have a, a, a disease burden that's within the realm of a handful of landowners or agency people to address? How do you, how do you go once you've gotten to that point, which is, that's where Wisconsin was pretty much from the day we started. We was already beyond our capabilities. So uh, Illinois has done a really good job. Uh, they've kept their prevalence really low, but they have very uh, discrete habitat, mostly on river corridors. They could kind of predict where the deer were going to show up because they go up and down these river corridors. Everything in between is corn and beans and not year-round habitat. So uh, they, they had just a 
they had an ideal situation to try and address it with a small number of dedicated agency people. Kind of a two-dimensional habitat type. Wisconsin had a three-dimensional habitat in many ways. When you look at the uh, driftless area that lives lives out in there, and uh, you know, basically deer habitat in every direction. You know, just it's just too big a problem to handle with a handful of people. So, so basically, then we told them, "Hey, you got to turn your hunters loose on them. You got to turn your landowners, get them helping, because it's beyond the ability of an agency to do." So that was our talk. And how do you? How was that received, Mike? I mean, people in various parts of the deer world now have heard you and Tom pitch this concept. And uh, I'm just curious about, you got some immediate feedback at that meeting and then people have reached out to you since. And um, I'm just wondering what, what that, what, what that, what the reception was. And, yeah. you know, we've, we're several months out of, out of that meeting now. And if you've had continued reception and contact um, about it. Yeah. It, you know, it's so hard to know. Uh, you We've all done Zoom presentations, and it's kind of like you're, you know, you're talking into your computer, and you, you kind of go, you know, uh, like the old Ferris Bueller joke. You know, anybody, anybody out there, anybody? And uh, I was told there was, you know, 250 people actually tuned in that day, and probably many more that could uh, make into it later. Uh, but other than a few questions that day, uh, and then we got contacted by the head deer guy for state of Ohio. But it's been, you know, pretty quiet. Uh, I think to some extent what we're talking about is, uh, seems a little radical for probably a lot of folks that only have a few positive animals and uh, they're not uh, quite ready for that yet. But uh, the irony is that's the time to do it because it, it would cost you next to nothing to do that early on. Unfortunately, you know, it will cost tens of millions of dollars to do it now to offer an incentive to people in a state like Wisconsin where we just have so many sick deer. So that's that's the trick. Get them, get them. Uh, you know, I I, I almost want to say, you know, you're you're making the same mistakes we did, and you know, in ten or fifteen years, you're going to be where we are, and then it'll be you won't be able to do this cheap anymore. But they don't want to. They don't want to think down that road. I don't think because it's a little scary. So, yeah, there's not only the actual economics of the impact, Mike, and uh, Bill kind of brought this up at the beginning of, you know, Bill doesn't necessarily hunt in an area that has CWD positive animals, but while the rest of us do, Liz, Mike, and myself hunt in areas where we have positive animals. Um, and to me, that really hit home in 2020 of what does it mean and how does it impact your 
hunting satisfaction, your hunting experience to be harvesting animals that ultimately I decided not to consume. And uh, so, like I said, there's, we can warn people about the potential, uh, the breadth of the biological problem and its, and its economic impact, but the hunting culture impact, I think can't be understated. And that's what hit me the hardest uh, last year. And certainly those feelings surfaced when Mike, you asked the hunters on your farm to contribute to the article um, that was in the Quality Whitetails magazine by the National Deer Association. And you've been dealing with this for, for a long time. Uh, and, and within the past several years, obviously we've, you and I, and particularly you have seen the, the increase in, uh, in prevalence on your property. And so, um, I've talked about, talked with you at length about what that means as a hunter and how that impacts us. But, uh, I'm again, curious if, uh, as, as your conversations have taken place over the past year, how many more people talk to you? Are there people that agency folks that bring that up are worried about the cultural impact of having a lot of hunters that are now dealing with this emotional toll it takes to be taking a lot of sick deer on their properties. Yeah, I, you know, we, we had never found a sick deer on our farm until 2017. Uh, and then we got to that year and, uh, you know, as you know, we got, we've had sick deer every year since then. So uh, four deer seasons now, and we're up to five out of the 10 we got. And I, you know, I'm sure there's more. So, uh, and, and we're kind of on the periphery of the main infection area. So uh, it, it is kind of scary how fast it's, happened even though it is you know from an epidemiologic epidemiological standpoint it's, it's considered a slow slow spreading disease uh, it takes a long time to incubate and everything but um, you know you can have a, a slow disease but when it gets to an ex exponential growth phase uh, slow doesn't doesn't mean anything um, if you know we don't know if we're there yet it, it sure looks like we are in many places but it's it's very possible it will go you know uh, into some kind of logarithmic uh, curve with a where it fluctuates around some some uh, you know mean level but we don't really have any evidence of that either so it's that's you know in some ways it's wishful thinking until you can prove it so it's it's kind of scary and uh well i guess what i would say is i'm disappointed in many ways that uh these these deer resources that are so valuable and you know they're I think I calculated it for the Southeast Deer Study Group states, which is 17 states. And they're, you know, they're, it's, it's, 
billions of dollars, billions, and 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 yet, you know, they're they're not feeling comfortable about spending really any serious money. That's what it is. It's, there's not serious money. Um, you know, we just had a, a federal bill passed, uh, but you know, it's great. I'm not turning my nose up at it, but you know, they got four or $5 million nationwide for more research on this. And, you know, it is, it is, uh, it is just not, not enough. It's, it's not even close to enough. It's not even close to close to being enough. And yeah. I, I too long. Yep. And again, I think, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a scientist. I'm a, I'm a consider myself somewhat of a, an aware hunter in that I thinking about the economic impacts of hunting. But again, I will admit that it didn't really hit home for me until I had to experience harvesting a positive animal myself. And Liz, I want to ask you about your 2020 season. Let me just uh, indulge people with the story though of the first positive year that I shot in 2020 was from Mike Foy's farm, a really nice buck, um, a hunt that I, I got to share the recovery with Mike. What a, you know, it was a, a top five hunting moment for me. And brought that buck home, uh, had a few people over friends to cut that deer up knowing full well, he very well might be positive. And then when he came back positive, I, I just cannot articulate enough the guilt that I felt by exposing other people to touching that animal and, and, and processing that animal, even people that have all been, you know, involved with CWD surveillance for years. It's still hit me very hard that my friends were there in my garage processing an animal that was positive. And then on top of it, I had all of this venison in my freezer, uh, wrapped in freezer paper with jokes from my friend, Julie Whitholm, you know, that I love to look at when I pull that venison out of the freezer and I toss it all in the garbage. And I, I, it took me until the darkness of night one night to to finally allow myself to throw it in the trash can and put it out at the curb because I was so upset that that's what was happening. Um, I just can't, I, I hope, I hope that telling that kind of story uh, allows people to realize the gravity of, of how difficult the CWD problem is, not just from an economic standpoint, a biological standpoint, for, but from a personal hunting standpoint, it sucked tremendously. <laughs> and there's more to that story, but, uh, that of what happened after that, but I want to get to Liz and hear about Liz, how your 2020 season went. And, um, now you're involved at the state level too, with efforts around CWD, uh, on the policy level. And so, uh, yeah, let's hear about how your season went. You now have a child at home and a family that you feed venison to. And I, and we've talked about this in the past. So I'd love to get your thoughts at this point about looking into the 2021 season and, uh, how, how your season went in 2020. Kelly, thank you. And I appreciate you sharing your experience because I, I haven't had to go through that yet, but I will tell you that sitting in the woods, um, I had a, a lot fewer hours this season with my daughter being less than two. Um, uh, Mitch and I, my husband, who we had um, just trade, trade off based on, you know, 
who's going to take care of Eva that night. And, um, and also being a caretaker for my um, mother who has Alzheimer's too, that kind of took up some time as well. But ultimately um, we're fortunate to have uh, healthy woods in our, you know, right on our property to access. So it was convenient, but I tell you that I sitting in my tree stand, I was calculating, um, you know, if a certain age deer comes within my bow range, would I, or wouldn't I based off of the prevalence? So, um, knowing that a younger deer has a lower probability of being positive. Um, do I want to fill my freezer or do I want to spend more time in the woods? So I, that, that thought goes through my head every time I hear a twig snap and that it, it does, it takes something away from the experience. Um, and four years ago, wasn't even on my radar. And to think that now I, you know, sample lymph nodes and handle deer dumpsters and you know try to reach out to get other hunters to even just have their deer tested it's it's been a kind of a crazy whirlwind journey just in the last uh, three to four years but my involvement has been um kind of evolving from you know boots on the ground just what can i do right here right um where i live kind of on the periphery of the main hot zone uh on the northern Sauk county border with juno county um and it started off with just adopting um a kiosk and trying to make sure that we're taking some of that um, time burden away from some of the DNR employees to have to, you know, go around and check the kiosks to um, then sampling lymph nodes. And then when the adopt a dumpster program was initiated, we jumped on that right away to make sure that we had uh, access points for um, our area and then our surrounding area in uh, Northern Sauk County. And it was a very much a team effort from the Sauk County Conservation Alliance, uh, Tom Haugey and, and the group there have done wonderful work. So is BHA to spread the word and try to get that program up and running. Um, but what we've noticed is that, uh, especially in the last couple of years, um, the participation in the dumpster program has been well received and well utilized. Um, every single deer dumpster that we've put out has been filled to capacity and we've had to uh, multiple times um, bring a new dumpster out. So we know that that is a, um, a, an easy win for hunters. There's really not much effort that you have to put in. It's a, there's not very many barriers to doing that. And um, when it comes to ways to get CWD off the landscape, really putting your carcass in a dumpster, whether or not you, you know, even test the deer, that's the only way we can do it. But I think a program like um, what Mike and uh, Tom have been promoting payments for positives adds that such important factor of incentivizing uh, the targeted removal. So I think if there's a way for us to build that foundation um, to get that culture changed that hunters are testing and disposing properly, adding a program like payments for positives will have the infrastructure ready to go so that it's not a not a big deal, right? <laughs> when you do get a positive, um, it's such a weird thing to say, but it, for us in Sauk County and um, Richland County, Grant County, it's it's gonna be a normal thing to have, to go get a new tag because your deer test positive. So as I have um, been trying to find out who do I need to talk to? How do we drum up excitement? How do we drum up uh, intensity? And where do the decisions happen? Um, it, Conservation Congress, um, your local CDAC meetings, that's where you can go and voice your concerns. And it's brought up to, from a citizen resolution standpoint. Um, and I know Mike, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I 
the payments for positives has been brought to vote and it did garner support. As Mike, uh, I don't know if he's muted, but um, I think it, it actually did get passed, but never went anywhere. So you're correct, Liz, sorry, I uh, hit the wrong button there, but um, yeah, we we brought it up in 2018 mm -hmm. uh, as a local resolution. Um, it, it did not get through the Deer and Elk Committee in 2018. Um, we had a change of administration and the a new governor, Governor Evers administration asked uh, Conservation Congress uh, executive team to uh, advance it as a statewide question for 2019. Um, and it passed with about 60% of the vote, uh, the individual vote and uh, majority of the counties. Uh, however, unfortunately, when it got to the uh, State Congress annual meeting, uh, it did not get advanced out of that meeting. And, uh, you know, Larry Bondi, who was the, the chair at the time, said it's, you know, it's almost unheard of that something that passed with uh, strong public support would not get advanced by the by the delegates, but I think there was a little bit of a hard feeling about the fact that it got, uh, there was a little bit of influence to try and get it back uh, for consideration after the Deer and Elk Committee had had not advanced it. And, you know, part of that, both Tom and I were out of the state at the time they held their meeting. And so um, basically we couldn't even defend the proposal and uh, and they, did, they didn't advance it. but. Whatever the cause, uh, it didn't go forward. And, and of course, if the Congress doesn't support anything in this state, uh, it's, it's awful easy for uh, the legislature or the DNR or the governor's office to not support it as well. It's, I mean, that's the safe, safe place to be on something that the Congress doesn't support. So, so and that was just for a pilot pilot to, to try it. Um, we did not uh, try and start over and and do it again. Uh, last year, I was kind of, I don't know, maybe I was nurse licking my wounds or whatever, but, you know, I, I kind of felt, hey, we've already been, we've already gotten a favorable vote. Why do we have to go through it all again? But uh, we, we started it again this year and uh, just going to start over from county resolution and uh, I I am just very confident that it would uh, and all we're trying to prove in the pilot is that people will participate um, that's um, it's a test it's 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 a let's see how it works right yeah um, and the the cost of the program is like nil compared to the potential positive impacts. So, um, so much of what I do just in my profession is, you know, talking about risk benefit. And so when we have a disease like chronic wasting disease that doesn't have a, 
it's not very visual. I mean, unless you, sh you see a deer that's actually sick, but that's what's so rare about this disease is we're not seeing the, the sickness in the animal like with um, uh, EHD. You know, those are very visual, uh, very quick onset diseases. So, um, so that urgency isn't there, but continuing to talk about it, um, especially on these types of platforms, platforms is really important. So Mike, I'm, I'm glad that you've got it back up and running and I'm very interested in, in, in supporting this initiative because like I said, there's, there's nothing, we don't have tools right now and the yeah. tools that are gonna be developed, absolutely important that those, uh, the, the research is invested in, but that's not a solution that's gonna happen in our lifetime or in even the next generation. So what can we do now? And I think that um, where my involvement has come now is that understanding the importance of the Conservation Congress in making decisions on management. Here we have citizens, not every citizen that has a biology background or research-based background are making decisions on potentially very important projects where, uh, you know, our department um, of natural resources uh, can't speak around it, I guess. So <laughs> I don't wanna say the wrong thing, but um, there's a lot of influence that comes outside of the department that affects the management. And so um, being a member of the Sporting Heritage Council, we can potentially be a bridge um, to help foster communication um, between like the public and any uh, outdoor enthusiast. I think it, you know, certainly involving anyone, even if you're not a hunter, to care about deer health and the herd health and the impact of having a healthy deer herd on conservation projects throughout the throughout the state. How everything's connected to deer hunting uh, in this state was an eye opener for me. So for me to be involved in the Sporting Heritage Council to help put ideas together on how we can influence the Natural Resources Board or educate the Natural Resources Board on issues that are important to uh, conservation efforts and R3. It even says in our mission statement that we can advise the governor uh, of concerns from a citizen level. So um, this is where we're in the stages now um, with the Sporting Heritage Council being re kind of reunited to look at our vision statement, to look at our mission statement and come up with some real uh, solutions and some real suggestions um, to, to the department, to the Natural Resources Board. So as we're meeting, we're kind of developing some of those concepts and I'm really looking forward to the next couple of meetings where we're gonna come up with some real proposals and uh, present them uh, in a way to the Natural Resources Board. And I'd like to see uh, how we can make some impact in some of these uh, citizen resolutions. I think that would be a, a great place to start. Well, I would really encourage that, Liz. I, I, I congratulate you again on getting appointed to the council. And, um, you know, there's, <laughs> I don't know if it's the loneliest spot in the world, but uh, being an ex-agency biologist is kind of a lonely spot uh, because, uh, you know, in some ways they the thought is, well, you had your chance and you should have uh, fixed what you were able to fix when you were working there. But ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, you know, I've been really interested to see how many states are using uh, some kind of incentive to encourage people to get vaccinated now. And, uh, you know, Ohio's had 
they saw like a 33% jump in their vaccinations once they started offering their, their both their uh, education and their, their big million dollar payment thing. And it's, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that makes the world go round. I, Bill, I was interested to hear you say that, you know, most of your friends don't even bother to get gear tested. And, you know, that, that to me is one way that this works because you're up there. Uh, I, I don't know exactly where you are, Portage County or somewhere up there, but you know, you're basically on the front front line of where this is spread to where we would really like to have more samples to, to have a better understanding of what's going on. And yet, you know, with, with very few people thinking they have any likelihood of, of seeing a sick deer that, you know, they just, they say, Hey, it's not going to affect me. Why should I bother? Well, you know, what if, there was a thousand dollar reward for a sick deer to the hunter. What if there was a thousand dollar reward to the landowner for a sick deer? You know, right away, uh, you might have more of your friends, more of the of the hunters up in uh, central and in, in northern Wisconsin start getting their deer tested, and and then we have a better idea what's going on. Um, and you know what does that cost us if those deer, if there is no disease? Anybody? Any question? Any answer? <laughs> it costs us the, the value of the test, right? It's the, the tests aren't free, but they're not. It's not a huge expense. You don't pay unless you get a sick deer, so it's that solves that. And then you know your situation, Liz. Uh, thinking in your tree stand of would, would you pass up a deer of a certain age uh, because it might be sick? Well, that's exactly what we don't want you to be doing. No. I mean, I we want people to be hunting for sick deer. That's the simplest way I can say it. I want people to be hunting for sick deer just as eagerly as they hunt for, for a big buck or just as eagerly, in my case, as I hunt for a, a yearling doe because I, I know it's it's going to be so good for eating. Um, we want people to be trying to get those instead of saying that deer looks skinny. I'm not going to shoot it or that deer, uh, something looks a little odd on it. It's all by itself. I'm not going to shoot it. Or, you know, that deer uh, doesn't have an, a good rack and it's, it's probably past its prime. I'm not going to shoot it because uh, that's just, isn't what, you know, that, that won't get us to where we need to go. We need people to be trying to get those deer that have a good chance of being sick. And somehow we have to, re, you know, I think the reward isn't in the freezer. The reward isn't in the wall hanger. What is the reward for taking that, that you know, altruistic uh, effort? And, uh, and it is effort. Kelly can tell you how hard it took us to get that, that first buck of hers up that hill. I mean, it's a steep hill and, and we, we uh, it, it, I won't say it weighed twice, Kelly, but it was pretty close. Um, it, you know, against that hill, we would together, we would uh, top the rope on it and it would just 
we just stopped right in our tracks and you know finally i got we got it to the point we got a rope on it and pulled it up the hill but um it's work it's work to get it out of there it's work to drag it home and it's work to field dress it it's work to cut it up and all that work is you know ultimately goes in the dumpster that's hard mike and i always talk about our deer hunting calculus when we decide okay are we going to do make the uh you know 45 minute to an hour drive out to the farm you've got to think about okay what am i doing the next day is somebody going to help me drag out that large deer up a slope in iowa county that night is it warm out if i have to recover this deer later uh you know mike you had hunters on your property that had a deer that got torn up by coyotes when we you know when we let it lay and that you know all of those things factor into okay am i going to go out there and try to hunt a deer that's potentially going to be positive or not and would something like a thousand dollar incentive you know change my mind in this moment and I hear the comments about people feeling like that takes away some level of the sporting aspect of what we're doing. I hear all that. What I can definitely say is that my sporting aspect of hunting deer has already been degraded by the fact that there are positive deer out on the landscape, period. Um, it doesn't really matter if you're going to pay me or not. My hunting experience has already declined because of the fact that I might not be able to eat what I harvest, that I might be exposing people to a disease that they would rather not be exposed to in their lifetime. Um, all of that already degrades my experience and takes away from my uh, sense that this is a sporting endeavor. So um, again, that's my response to people saying, well, you can't pay people uh, because, it, because it will impact sporting heritage. Um, to your point, Liz, about thinking about the age of deer that you're, that's, might present a shot in front of you, so to finish the story of what happened at Mike's for me this year, I got a replacement tag from my first positive buck, uh, licked my wounds a ton. Mike encouraged me to get back out there and see what happened. It was the thick of the rut. And I went out one morning at Mike's and by 8 a.m. had arrowed another larger buck than the first one that I shot. Um, that buck came in with a doe, a young doe. And there was definitely a moment where I sighed and was like, oh no, here's probably an older buck than the first one I just shot. His likelihood of being positive is super high. I could just shoot this doe, but you know, the goal of hunting at this property that I have the privilege of hunting on is to remove sick deer. And so I'm gonna shoot this buck. Um, again, what a, what a degradation of my hunting experience. Here I have this beautiful animal that I, that I successfully harvested, but it was, it just felt, I was somewhat uh, detached from the whole situation and Bill can attest to this. I mean, I talked to him, I've talked to, I talked to him throughout that fall about how challenging it was. And I, I just cannot understate how, um, if this hasn't happened to you, you don't want it to. Uh, you don't want to be living in a year to year situation where this is the reality now of the deer that you're going to harvest. Um, it takes away the excitement it uh, pushes you in a way to get out there, but not necessarily in a way that feels satisfactory. I mean, we're, Mike and I push ourselves, push each other a lot to get out there and harvest deer now, but it just is not the same as just being able at, to experience. At the same the time, pilot. you know, you know, Kelly, I was, <laughs> I was cheering from the sidelines yeah. because 
I, I encouraged everybody hunting out there, let's see what we can do. They're not letting us have a pilot statewide. So let's just see what we can do on 75 acres in Southeast Iowa County. And, you know, I, I asked them to try and shoot a, one more deer than they might normally want. I asked them to, to, you know, not, basically if they could take a humane safe shot to take it and not worry too much about what was gonna happen. And, you know, in, in a small way, I think we proved it. We proved we could remove positive deer. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just waiting for a chance to prove it statewide. Uh, and then the other side of it, of course, and this is where the, the hardcore modelers, I think, are still uh, on the sidelines a little bit is, uh, if we got people to shoot a bunch of more sick deer, what would what would happen? What would be the outcome or result of that? And they this getting into the weeds a little bit, but because they think CWD is primarily a frequency transmitted disease, for some mathematical reason, they say it, you'll probably never get rid of it anymore once it's in a population. But as Illinois has shown, you can keep prevalence down to very low, what I, I call nuisance levels, where it is not something that, you know, in, like in my case, the last three deer I've shot have been sick. In Kelly's case, uh, both of the deer, that three, two out of the three deer she cut up this year could not be eaten. So that's not nuisance, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a tragedy. Um, a nuisance is, you know, once in a while, maybe you, you know, somebody you know got a sick deer. But, um, and it's interesting, if you extrapolate our farm, 75 acres of deer range into Iowa County, and I know there's, you know, all the dangers of doing that, but if you extrapolate that, take our results, we're on the edge of the, of the main infection area, so we're not, you know, maybe an unaverage farm for Iowa County that way. Uh, that would extrapolate out to about 14,000 sick deer taken. And uh, you know, I, I calculate that there's maybe 10,000 in the county. So uh, we, you know, again, I know how dangerous this is, such a small sample, such a small piece of ground. But the fact is we outperformed uh, pretty much everybody else in the county on getting sick deer off on a per acre basis. And if we, if we were all doing it as hard as we tried and, you know, you'd have to get people to do it as hard as we tried, but that's where the incentive comes in. You could maybe remove a large percentage of the sick deer out there. And that's what would get that prevalence down to what I think would be a nuisance level, not a, not a, existential threat to the deer population. So Bill, you're hearing, you know, all of these stories and uh, you and I have talked about this at length of what, uh, what your hunting heritage means to you and you haven't necessarily had to uh, be confronted by CWD head on just yet where you hunt or in your circle of 
circle of folks. So what are your thoughts um, as you hear all this and what would you tell, what would you tell fellow BHA members, fellow hunters uh, that are in your similar situation at this point? Uh, well, you're, you're having, having uh, lived th through your, your last fall, that was, that was heartbreaking for me as well. Just someone who also spends a decent amount of time in the woods and knows everything that goes into just shoot, being able to shoot one buck, let alone two, like the way you did. Um, yeah, I, I just share that story with people that usually gets the point across. Um, I've used, I've used the, the economic thing, the, that standpoint of deer hunting, like Mike was talking about. I've talked about that with people. Like, hey, if you want people to come here, you know, spend a bunch of money, a boatload of money when they come to Wisconsin to shoot white-tailed deer, who's going to do that if we've got uh, zombie deer, as they were called when I was out in Maine, and a guy found out I was from Wisconsin, we started talking about deer, and he's like, oh, you got those zombie deer out there, right? Like the, the prions, you know, they're zombie deer. So if that's what people are going to start talking about, who's going to come here to hunt, right? Who wants to come here and drop money on that and... Like we were talking about before the show, talking to people about, hey, getting it tested just for your family, right? Like we we don't fully understand these neurodegenerative diseases. Um, we barely understand the human ones, let alone uh, cross species or what's happening in another animal. So uh, I don't want to play around with that. I, I don't understand why some people are okay with that idea. So no, I just these this conversation every year um, to revisit I think every every conservation organization in Wisconsin, if you have anything to do with habitat where deer live, let alone uh, harvesting them or eating them, we should be having this conversation. And the work that Liz and Mike are doing are, is super important. So, no, it was it was good to hear all this today. So, thank you both for what you're doing. The other oh, thing. I... Uh... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, so uh, Kelly knows this, but I've been uh, I've been working part time for the last year for Dane County Public Health doing uh, COVID stuff for them, and uh, they went from seven people in uh, in February March of 2020 to over 200 people at the peak of their um, staffing uh, at around last Christmas. So they, they, they put over 200 case investigators and, and other folks on. That doesn't count the testing staff, that doesn't count the, the ultimately the, uh, the vaccination staff. That's just how many people they were hired just to try and uh, slow this disease from spreading in the community and we always kept saying you know our goal is to work ourselves out of the job and we we're pretty much done that uh, most of us have been laid off now and that's a, you know that's something to be glad of um, it's I, I just I would like to be trying to do an effort like that for CWD to try and be working ourselves out of a job and the you know, the neat thing, I think, from a standpoint of a government program is, uh, again, other than the testing, 
and you know some some basically administrative costs and stuff. You don't pay a reward unless you have sick gear to pay it on. So it's it's as you start reducing the number of sick gear out there, the amount that you got to expend on the effort would decline, and ultimately it declines to a really low level. And, and uh, that would be our hope, and you'd be spending relatively a little money on. But uh, it's I don't know how many times you, you know a government uh, program can say that that uh, that they're going to take care of a problem and then and then shut down because they're not needed anymore. But that's you know that would be potentially what you could do here. And yet, if you continue to offer the reward. You know, one of the problems is you have to have some kind of a suppression on this disease forever now because because of the frequency transmission there's always going to be there on the landscape even at low prevalence levels but you take your thumb off of it it's going to start increasing again but you have that reward out there that would be keeping that pressure on at all times even if you never actually you know have to pay the reward out so it just it's it's a very uh, straightforward, clean way of approaching this. And I, um, I I wish it was my idea. I can't even take credit for it. My idea It's a guy named Alan Crossley that I used to work with. So he's the one that thought of this. And it's just brilliant. I, 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 can't, I can't say anything more than that, that it's a, it's a brilliant idea and we should be doing it. Right on. I uh, just wanted to echo Bill's thanks to both of you for Talking about this, and uh, I mean, as the audience can tell, Mike is much more pragmatic about this at this point than I am. You can you heard my emotional pleas over and over again about uh, why you should care. Mike is very pragmatic and realistic in his approach. So thanks for that, Mike, um, for giving us our reality check. Can I share a screen here briefly with you? How are you we doing can. for time, Bill? I've... Uh, you got to let me. Uh... I don't know how you do that. And I don't know if Bill's doing the, Bill, you're not posting on the Damn. platforms that uh, show videos at this point, but. No, I've, oh. I'm just on Zoom, but I can, I've got a, uh, we can upload the video. Yeah, Mike. I oh, think it's not a video. It's just a, a, just a graph is all. I mean, of our, of our video, Mike, but we can look at your graph. Yeah, oh. no, I'll, I'll have the, I'll have the video uploaded. Uh, yeah, Mike, you should have host control. You should be able to. Um, I think I gave you host control. Maybe while Mike's loading that up, I did want to share too. Oh, there we go. Oh, so, um, maybe I make this a little bigger, but um, You know, this, this assumes exponential growth. You can't assume that. It, it extrapolates from, the only data we have is this, this lower line here. Uh, everything else is an extrapolation. But this first line here, this is what we actually uh, observed in the deer that we sampled, the frequency of infection. This one is, uh, you know, the, so the blue line is what we, we got samples. The red line is what it may have represented in the the deer harvest overall. 
including the non-sampled deer. So, you know, that's up here now about 8,000 deer. And, and uh, this, I haven't updated this for 2020 yet, but, you know, basically we had 1,500 sick deer uh, this last year. So maybe 8,000 or 10,000 in the actual harvest could be expected because, you know, we only, on, on average, we only sampled one in 10 deer. And the green line, remember, that's, that's the deer that you harvest. Uh, you don't harvest all the deer on the landscape. So if you harvested 40% of the standing herd, then the remaining herd has maybe 21, 22,000 sick deer left on the landscape after the season to continue this for next year. And we haven't harvested 40% of our deer population in years now. So um, this purple line is if we harvested only 20% of our population and uh, which is maybe still high, but nonetheless, now we're looking at 40,000 sick deer out there left on the landscape. This, this is what, you know, whether these numbers are exactly right or not, doesn't really matter. The, the point is, we're leaving a ton of disease out on the landscape each year and it's just going to get worse and worse until we can see some evidence that it's going to level off which we're not seeing and may never see so uh, I, I think there's some uh, risk of thinking well this is not that big a problem if all you're looking at is the blue line down here but you know, you, you got to realize that that's a subset of a subset of a subset, and uh, there's potentially a much bigger problem out there than a lot of people realize. So, okay, I'll turn it back to you, Bill. How do you undo this? Stop share. There you go. You're back. And we're back. Liz, what were you gonna say? That's that's some heavy heavy info when you see that graph and everything. For yeah, sure. I thought a lot of CWD in people's freezers. Uh, exactly, Liz. You know, whether you think that uh, pre-end diseases are anything to worry about or not, it, it does give you pause that there are, there's indisputably, whether you want to extrapolate it this way or not extrapolate, there's undisputably thousands of sick deer in people's freezers across Wisconsin, thousands and thousands of sick deer going through uh, meat processors. And, you know, it's, it's a very sobering thought, it's particularly when those same meat processors are then running beef and hogs and, and uh, other meat through those same machines. Mm. Mm. Mm, all right. and, and, you know, we shut down the entire North American uh, cattle industry when we find one cow with mad cow disease in anywhere in North America. So uh, it's, you wonder like, why is nobody thinking about that this might be a problem? Yeah, the, the pathology, the, the biology of this particular prion is what makes it so unique in that it's... Um, we haven't had a, a, a positive detection in the human. We can't. We haven't been able to make that correlation. But again, it's uh, it's 
sometimes it's not a matter of if, but when. And uh, that's kind of what our leading experts are saying is that it's just a matter of time. And uh, I don't like those odds. So for me, the, the decision is easy to not consume uh, positive medicine. So uh, what I was going to try to circle back to is, um, you know, so much of what we're asking is a uh, is human behavior change, which is extremely difficult to get, especially across an entire um, you know, cohorts of, of hunters who have their traditions, who are set in, in maintaining that heritage. So, um, you know, Kelly, I, when you were sharing your story, I echoed that, um, that sense of detachment that sometimes would kind of wash over me as I'm sitting there trying to, you know, what am I getting out of all of this effort? And what I, what was so easy to just lose myself in, in the, in being in the woods and to just have that time and to, um, appreciate the uh, the environment I was in was being I was having to snap out of it sometimes just considering what my goals were and so I think asking hunters to change their goals um, when they're in the woods is a big ask but certain programs like um, you know payments for pauses here you know we're going to try to initiate a, a behavior change by incentivizing um, previous programs like uh, earn a buck, right? Again, trying to change behavior, trying to increase the harvest per hunter to make an impact. Um, there's some data points that show that that can, that can be impactful. So what are some other tools that we can come up with? But ultimately, um, one of the programs that, that's in existence right now is the Adopt a Dumpster program. And I just wanted to give an update on that where we're at now. So in the previous couple of years, um, the, the adopter held the most financial responsibility. So the department would reimburse up to a certain amount and they had capped that at around $500. So what's gonna hopefully be changing this year is that the adopter will then have the lesser burden. So uh, as the price of uh, the, the cost of the dumpster has gone up, so has the cost to the, uh, to the adopter. So now it should be that, or hopefully it will be that as a, a, a dumpster adopter, you would only pay up to $500 and then the remaining cost would be offset by the grant dollars. So that hopefully should um, remove some barriers to maybe some sports sporting clubs that were considering, you know, donating some, um, some other resources to that with not knowing what the full uh, cost would be. There's a set amount now. So it's, it can be worked into a budget. So um, that's good news. And uh, another um, thing that we're trying to kind of weave into some legislation proposals is to incentivize, um, meat processors to um, test, require testing, and um, that they would also not have to share the cost burden of having a dumpster if the deer does test positive. So again, just try to create an infrastructure that allows um, hunters who maybe don't have to go through the whole process of, of um, cutting up the deer and packaging it, and then waiting for the results. If it can essentially hang in a cooler somewhere until you get the results, that might relieve that uh, extra effort, relieve that burden so that it would be easier than to go back out in the woods once you get your new tag issued. Uh, so a lot of different ideas are out there. And I think at this point, we should be trying to talk about and support ones that make sense. And I, and I feel again, Mike, really strongly that something like payments for positives, especially the, the pilot program, uh, it has value. It has, you know, whether or not what we'll learn from it. And, uh, those types of initiatives I think are really important. So I'm excited to talk a lot about that at our local CDAC and, and bring that up at the Sporting Heritage Council.
I'm so grateful that we have two voices like yours, Liz and Mike, that are advocating for this at the state level and uh, are infusing your knowledge uh, as a agency biologist and as a hunter conservationist and landowner. Both of you are landowners and in the CWD area. And uh, those voices are so, I just, I, it makes me feel confident that if even if I am not able to or don't take some some sort of leadership role on the CWD front that we have folks like you uh, bringing this up and spending your valuable time, personal time, uh, pushing these ideas. And thanks to Bill for pushing this as an annual conversation that we have with BHA and on a platform like a podcast. So uh, th those are my closing thoughts. Bill, anything else? I, I uh, mirror everything you just wrapped up with. Um, so thanks everyone. Also, we've got a few announcements on the um, state BHA side of things. We have a river cleanup day, July 17th at Castle Rock Flowage, 8 a.m. Hit up our social media, Instagram or Facebook for more information. There's contact info there. If, you're a, if you are a state member, you should have gotten an email, a call to action to send an email to me to get signed up. We're looking for people with boats, trailers, uh, hammers, saws, all that kind of stuff. We're gonna clean up some old abandoned duck blinds that are a bit of an eyesore and also becoming dangerous with the amount of debris floating around. So we're gonna get those cleaned up July 17th. And then we also have our state rendezvous July 31st in Racine. So looking for volunteers for that, looking for people to sign up. You can reach out to us on social media and we've got our email in the call to action from uh from national so yeah those are the those are the big announcements thanks again kelly thank you to our guests as well so uh kelly wrap it up for us that's all i got saddle up get outside uh get ready for deer hunting think about what your goals are out there like liz said and critically about why you're why you're pursuing deer what you're going to do with that deer if you harvest it and what a disease like cwd means to your future sporting heritage so thanks everybody for listening thank you thanks for your time